Hey everyone, this is That Guy in Hutch, Jason Probst, and you're listening to That Podcast in Hutch, and this is another installment of What's the Big Idea? And if you listen to the introduction episode, we talked about kind of our idea behind What's the Big Idea? and our motivation and kind of the way this all came about. Um, If you haven't listened to it, you should go back because you'll have a better understanding of the weird thing we're doing here. But today I've brought Tyler back on because he has a big idea that I want to unpack a little bit. So Tyler, thanks for being on again. Thanks for having me. Uh, loving the new studio here at Probst Plaza. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's great, isn't love it? Love what you've done with the place. Yeah, this is great. Uh, I, I brought in a professional decorator so that, um, you know, try to spice things up a little bit. Because if it's up to me, it's probably all blank walls. Uh, actually, I'd put grease boards all over the walls so I could just write ideas all over the place. That's yeah, that, what I do. That would be handy instead of the, all this Sharpie scribbles. That you have the, <laughs> the fountain out front was a nice touch, I thought. Yeah, I just, I, if I had, you know, if you give me too much uh, leeway on the decor, it looks like a Jackson Pollock painting on all the walls. So can't have that. <laughs> That's right. So you and I had this conversation a while back, and you have a big idea, and I want you to kind of explain it a little bit, and I'll maybe ask questions as they come up. But tell everybody what your big idea is. My big idea, I guess, in a nutshell, would be um, – for us to start using uh, consumable plastics that can be um, reused uh, in a in the context of like three D printing media, um, I would like to. What I envision is that we could take a water bottle your kid just finishes a bottle of juice and you take the water bottle and you throw it into a little hopper that grinds it up and melts it down and extrudes it as uh, media for your 3d printer and uh, this does a couple of things Uh, one 3d printing media is not free or cheap Uh, and two you know we we have a lot of waste going into our landfills that's uh, consumable uh, consumer plastic that we just throw away. Some people try to recycle it, and and the recycling is um, at best inefficient and largely inaccessible to a lot of folks. Um, there are some questions too about how much of the plastic actually gets recycled. Exactly. Some some places don't really have the the means to to fully recycle. Like we think, I throw a bottle in a recycling bin, and and it. 100% gets used as this other thing, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they still end up in a landfill. Uh, so, you know, 3D printing technology is relatively new. But it could, and it seems that there will be a future in which most homes, much like today, most homes have a printer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a future in which many homes probably most homes have a 3D printer. Sure. Where you're using that printer to make kind of one-off things or, or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. My granddaughter tells me if I get a 3D printer, we would never have to go to the store for anything but food. We could make our own toys and uh, we would never have to buy anything. And I, I know that to be probably untrue because she would still find things that she would want me to buy. Yes. But, I mean, she's, she's right in the sense that if you have um, – if you have the vision 
for for the uses you'll find tons of uses for a 3d printer some folks maybe don't see the utility because they don't really realize what all you can do with a 3d printer mm -hmm. if uh, this part on your um, refrigerator handle breaks you can print up a new one and just replace it and just replace it or you know there are a thousand things in your household that can be printed on a 3d printer so if this breaks the battery cover on you you lose the battery cover on your remote control you can print a new one do, do you remember well there could there could also be right, there could also be a future where you know, now you can go on like Etsy or one of these like artsy places and mm -hmm. then you can get handcrafted things. But there could be a future where you could order those things online. But then instead of having it shipped to you, the, the files are electronically sent, the 3D printer prints it out, and now you have this product. Instead of having it shipped, it's actually produced yep. in, on your 3D printer remotely. Kind of like that, I remember, was it Star Trek or something where the old version of Star Trek or maybe some science fiction show where they, maybe it was the Jetsons, but they it, they would punch the button on what they wanted to eat and it would just materialize in the, in mm -hmm. the window. And they actually have three, 3D printers for food, uh, for some food items. It's, it's neat. They've got 3D printers for concrete. Uh, I saw a video where they 3D printed a house yeah. out of concrete. They have welding machines that can 3D fabricate, uh, can fabricate things out of metal in 3D um, by laying down a weld bead controlled by a machine that tells it where where to do it and it builds up a bead high just like a 3D printer does. So it's still um, kind of an abstract concept to a mm -hmm. lot of folks that, that don't have hands-on application of a 3D printer. It sounds super futuristic but it's it's really not. I'm sitting here looking at your water bottle over there and let's say you dropped it and you cracked the lid on the on your water bottle uh, you unscrew it and you go to the bottle manufacturer's website and you download a file for how to print a new cap that that in its entirety doesn't exist yet but it could yeah, uh, yeah. but you could you could um, with Instant. a plot scanner uh, or I'm sure someone listening will correct my terminology there, but but it's a it's a thing that can take a picture of what you have and then render a digital version of it that then could be printed out on a on a 3D printer. So um, abstract to some folks, but once you see it, it, it becomes a little more concrete. But in order to do that, it requires media, which is the filament mm -hmm. that you is usually on a spool that feeds into yep. the 3D printer. It's a solid uh, plastic. And it's heated. And it's heated and it, almost like a glue gun is extruded out and then re-solidifies once it's heated. And you can buy media with a variety of properties. Some uh, are more rigid. Some have more flexibility. You know, they have a variety of colors. You know, a, an assortment of properties um, in these different media um, filaments that you can that you can uh, buy for your 3D printer. So when you're thinking about this, you're looking, you're seeing two things. You're seeing the kind of 3D printers are going to be more ubiquitous mm -hmm. in the world. More people are going to have them. And you're also seeing that we have a lot of plastic products. I got a coffee this morning that was in a plastic cup, uh, plastic water bottles, uh, wrapping. Everything that you order has some kind of plastic wrapping on it. Yep. Um, all of these plastics. And you... 
you your idea is can I take all of those plastics and put them in a hopper, reconstitute them in some way uh, into a filament that I can then use in my 3D printer. So I've I've now uh, recycled and found an actual new life for this product, mm-hmm. but I'm using it and I can I can use it again in another way by printing out things that I want and need around my house. Exactly. And um, so maybe it is on a small scale like a home 3D printer where I throw my coffee cup mm-hmm. in in this hopper that grinds it up and then that goes into a little melting tub that melts it and, and makes the filament. And each day the filament just grows and grows on the spool until I use it, right? Um, or maybe... Maybe it's not on that small of a scale. Maybe it's on a bigger scale, and not every household has one, but say every school district has one. And so the town, everybody in town— Collectively just, throws their stuff yeah, together. Yeah, okay. Well, I, my recycling is a bag full of my coffee cups and my water bottles that then I take to the school, and the kids in third-hour technology class take it and grind it up, and that's where their media for their projects comes from. Um or municipalities have a place where they gather it and make their media and then sell it on Amazon for whoever has the 3D printers. It can the the end user can be a lot of different um, uses. A well, lot it could of, be industrial. It could be uh, educational. Yep. It could be consumer. Yep. Um, even as you talk about the city, I thought you know. I imagine the city, any municipality would have a use for something like that. Like they could probably uh, make what flower pots, make their own flower pots if they want mm-hmm. to put around town, or uh, I don't know the, something. Any any number of things, yeah, right? Possibilities are almost literally endless. Um, so I print a flower pot for downtown. Uh, you know, a big big flower pot it sits there for 10 years it gets a crack in the side oh darn i print out another one and Mm -hmm. i take this broken one i throw it back in the hopper and i make a new one you know um yeah and that's the thing you're not throwing that flower pot away you're grinding it up and reusing it again right exactly and and so um you know when we talk about um things like plastic we talk about reduce reuse and recycle and this wouldn't be reduce because we'd honestly be looking for more uses. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would it would be a way to combine reusing and recycling into one stream. Yeah. Re, our recycling and reuse are same same point in the in the uh, process. And I would think municipalities would would love something like this because it reduces the landfill. It, you know, it's less that they have to haul away. It's less that they have to bury at the landfill. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds super pie in the sky. Um, I got the idea first when you took your trip to South America and you were telling me about what was it? You were waiting for you were waiting on a bus to take you up a mountain or something. Well, we were so we were hike, we were hiking to Machu Picchu, mm-hmm. and we were at the 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 last town that we went from these little villages, and we hiked from village to village. And the last town that we were that we stayed in, there's a 
train station by there's a train that runs through there and uh while we were and yeah that's right we were done we came down uh from Machu Picchu and we were waiting to catch our ride back to uh Cusco and there were just train car after train car after train car of loaded with plastic bottles because tourists in a place like Peru don't drink tap water. No, you drink the bottled you water drink the bottled for your water. safety. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I did make that. Um, I didn't make the mistake of drinking tap water. I did make the drink, make the mistake of uh, getting uh, like a frozen ice cream or something like that. And I suffered for that for a day. Um, and it's, it, it's very unpleasant. So everybody drinks bottled water down there. And actually it was interesting because the group of people that we were with, and it was these people from all over the world, there's another thing that was fascinating about that. We had people from Denmark and uh, Chile and Mexico and Holland and England all traveling together on this trip up to Machu Picchu. And uh, we were all talking about this water bottle issue because we were aware of how many bottles of water we were using. And it's not the kind of place where you could um, take like a, a refillable bottle because how you, you going to refill it with? Yeah. And we had a conversation then. We were eating dinner one night, all of us, and we had this conversation about, well, could we invent some kind of filtration system where you'd feel confident that if you refilled your water bottle, you were filtering all the contaminants out um, so that you wouldn't get sick? Because we were, we, were all, we were all very aware of how many water bottles we were using. We were buying water everywhere. Um, you're hiking, so you're drinking a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Um but you just don't dare use the tap water unless you've got three days to acclimate to whatever protozoas are in the water that you're going to be drinking. Yeah, not a, <laughs> still not a safe bet. No. So there were just, I mean, just tons of bottles. And again, it's the kind of thing like you think they're being recycled. They're, they're not. They weren't being put in a landfill, at least at that moment. But just train, full train cars of these just mm-hmm. crunched up into bales and put on this train. And we, did, we don't know what happens to them, I suppose. I think nothing. I think they just sit there. Likely a landfill where they get buried. Hopefully, they might be ground down first. But, yeah. But we don't know that. But we don't even do that here. I mean, we just no. throw the bottles uh, in our trash bags, generally. Mm-hmm. And they go to the landfill where they stay. And I, there's a lot of differing reports about how long it takes a plastic bottle to, you know, start to degrade and decompose. Um, but no matter what the truth is of how long it takes, it's it's a long time and it takes space and it's probably generally unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, the idea of being able to take one consumer product and turn it into another consumer product immediately seems like a pretty big idea. But is it, there are probably some barriers to this. And I'm thinking about every plastic bottle I look at has that number one, two, three on it mm-hmm. with the little recycle triangle. And I know that means something. I don't know what that means necessarily. I'm wondering if you do. Um, so they refer to the types of plastic. And so that's, um, I did a little, little bit of research on my own. Okay. Um, and contacted. A professor from Wichita State, a professor of organic chemistry and polymer plastics chemistry. Her name's Colleen Pugh. And essentially, um, consumer plastics are um, made up of multiple polymers and various um, plasticizers and other 
oh, for lack of a better word, adjunct. Um, you know, other other things that are added in to mm-hmm. give it different properties. So when you talk about, you know, we don't know how long plastic takes to biodegrade or when I talk about reusing plastic, it's that's an oversimplification of plastic, really, because plastics are a, are a variety. There's n- plastic isn't a thing; it's a type of thing, and there are lots of different types of plastic, and uh, each with their own properties. Some are going to be rigid, some are going to be flexible, some are going to biodegrade quickly, some will not. Some will benefit from being shredded before they're. Mm-hmm. Um, put into the waste to help them break down quick more quickly Um, but ultimately it depends on the type of plastic you're using so um, in order to be able to in in as I stated at first grind it up and throw it into hopper to be extruded into uh, 3d printer media you're gonna have different types of media that are going to result from that Uh, but our current plastic uh, that we use as consumers are water bottles or plastic coffee lids. Uh, If they get melted down and get uh, extruded and and re-solidified, they're going to have different properties than than before we melt them down because we're we're messing with these polymer chains and the other uh, elements that are put in. So when you talk about a polymer chain, is this like, this is the molecular structure of the plastic? Yes. It's like a chain of guessing carbon or some, you know, some molecule chain. Petrochemical type of molecules, yeah. Yeah. And so depending on how those are organized, determine what kind of plastic it is. How many of those chains are linked together uh, and, and in what order determines kind of how the plastic is. So you're saying well, if you heat it up and melt it, you've changed all of that, mm-hmm. and it's now not the same type of thing that it was before. Right. And she indicated that there um, was a company that was looking into this, not necessarily for the same end result that I'm talking about, um, but to, to look at um, plastics that can be reused in, in different ways. I mean, you can melt you can melt metal and let it cool, and then you still have metal. Mm-hmm. And some metals you might end up with a slightly different metal after it cools because you've you've cooked off some of the the other ingredients, the key, right? Yeah, things things that m- maybe make it alloy or or something like that. So um, she will uh, better explain for us. Um, what these what these are, uh, because and that's the point of what we're doing with this segment of the podcast is this is an idea that that I had, but I don't know. Yeah, we and, don't know if it works or not. We have to run this by somebody who does know. Exactly. Part part of the fun is saying I don't know. Let's find out. And so, uh, thanks again to Colleen for uh, for shedding some light on this subject uh, and what it takes what what it would take to make this idea viable Uh, and it sounds like what it would take is for um, these types of plastics to be 
uh, they already exist, to, to be used by manufacturers. There has to be an incentive for Evian water to uh, use this kind of plastic in their bottle over the plastic that they're using now. Mm-hmm. Likely, it's going to be a larger expense for them to, to use this other kind of plastic law, you know, law of supply and demand. There's not a lot of demand. If the suppliers of the plastic for wa- bottled water manufacturers um, had access to this other type of plastic at a more affordable rate, they'd be more likely to do it. Uh, or someone could take the first step and say, hey, kids, here, here's here's a plastic bottle that will then turn into fund for you later. Yeah, exactly. You know, why is our wa- our water bottle red? Because you can take it home and throw it in your melt it down and and uh, throw it in your three D printer, and now you've got red media for your three D printer. Um, that's that's a stretch because that also um, requires every home to have some some melting pot to throw it in. Right, mm-hmm. which I would envision as something open source, yeah, and um, likely fairly easy to produce. It's a heating element and a thermostat. It's you know, um, and some sort of extruder that turns it into a filament. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, I mean that we're not splitting the atom with that. That technology exists. Just someone could make it. Um, so I like what you said about like if you if you were to go and you were to buy juice or soda or water in a store and it and the bottle had a distinct marking or a distinct color to it to indicate that this is a recyclable you can recycle this at home. I'm just thinking in the future here about if this big idea became a reality, what would that look like? And you know, much like. Uh, you know, the, they had the old bottles that you would get a nickel if you recycled the bottle, mm-hmm. took it. Before my time, even, you, you would take the bottle back to the store and it hand you a nickel for turning the bottle in. Well, that was that was because, if I remember right, or I remember the stories right, um, bottling companies actually, they wanted those bottles back because they would re- wash them out and refill them and re-bottle them. Yep. And that saved them a lot of money. It was worth a nickel to them. To do that, so in this case, there could be a situation where um, maybe buying non-recyclable bottles came at a premium. Yeah. Maybe if you don't want to use that, you, you so you see a red bottle, you know that that can go in the hopper, it can go in your community recycling bin or whatever. Um, but if you get one that's non-recyclable, maybe that's costing you more, mm-hmm. and maybe that creates the incentive to use the recyclable material because you don't, as a consumer, you don't want to use the other stuff. Yep, exactly. Or I got a project and I want to use, uh, I need I need a green filament for my 3D printer. So, well, I'm cool. I'm going to buy Mountain Dew because they've got the green bottle that, that, you know, kind of like, um, when my grandma was a kid, uh, they would buy the, there were, there were people that would make flower sacks with, with patterns on them because they knew that um, some well, that's what people were using the them for. Poor, the poor families were taking flower sacks and making clothes out of them. That, de- that was a depression era yep, thing, right? Yep. yep. My grandma uh, was uh, yeah, was a kid in the depression. 
young Mennonite girl, and they made uh, made their dresses out of flour sacks, and they would use uh, from the mill that would, uh, if I understand this correctly, would would package their flour in uh, in a fabric that had a a pattern on it because they knew that these families were making clothes out of them. Let's make let's at least make it cute clothes, you know. So let's so I guess the modern equivalent to that would be. You know, well, I want to. I want that bottle because I don't have a filament for my printer in that shade. Yeah, and this is the this is the color I need, so I can do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, mentioning the flower sacks and the patterns, it's so interesting to me. It's uh, um, w- talking about how to reuse things and how to find a different purpose out of them. I mean, sometimes the I think the conversation about this gets wrapped up into like it's some kind of new thinking. But the you know, my mom saved tinfoil. <laughs> you know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? Yep. And she got that from her parents who who grew up in the Depression. And uh, I mean, those people were always finding some use for everything. They didn't throw anything away. No, nope. Grandma always had a, a bread bag full of bread bags. And the and I know Grandpa'd throw those on over his boots when he'd go shovel the sidewalk or whatever. I mean, yeah, that was a that generation, you know out of necessity had to be pretty creative with their waste stream. You don't throw that out. You reuse that. Oh, no way would grandma ever throw out a Ziploc bag. No, 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 You no, can no. use that thing 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> and once the bag gave out, grandpa would have figured out some use for the zipper. You know? Oh, yeah. Find something. Or you, there were always, uh, you know, if you took screws out of anything or nails out of anything, there were... Uh, they always had jars of nails. And oh. the jars were like old pickle jars or whatever. You didn't throw those away. Uh, those were for storing nails and screws and nuts and bolts in, right? I don't know why you're saying those were. That's a that's a, <laughs> that's a current thing for me, present tense. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I reused a bolt that I probably grabbed back in the 90s, and I was pretty proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, you just keep using it over I and over like, again. Hey, I saved that for a reason. My son-in-law, he always calls me Boomer because I hang on to old screws and bolts and nuts. And, well, you know. Well, you never know when you're going to need exactly that exactly you'll spend eight hours finding it in your in your your assortment of jars but it saved me a 20 minute trip to the hardware store and 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 29 cents for the new bolt that's right (laughs) that's right so so this idea of finding a way to use something isn't new i mean this is a this is a very old concept of how how do we take something that we use and that's part of our everyday life, and how do we turn that into something usable? We're, you, what you're talking about is a big idea, but not necessarily a new idea. No, it's a, but it's a big idea in that how how do we take something that's so present every day in our lives, pl- things like plastic bottles and consumer plastics, and find a way to repurpose those. Not just by, I mean, we could use the bottle, right? I could refill the bottle with water and stick it in the fridge, right? They, they don't recommend that, but I could do that. I could uh, cut the top off and turn it into a little starter planter for tomato plants or something, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of ways you could reuse that. But you're trying to imagine how do we reuse it in a way that has an application in an emerging technology. Exactly. And, 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 in a way that reuses it on a on a significantly larger scale. Yeah, because you can use a, an old water bottle to start tomato plants in, but you're going to have to start a heck of a lot of tomato plants before you put a dent in our waste 
with plastics, you know. And you're just one person doing that. Exactly. And, and so other people, you, you, the effect is minimal if you're doing that and everybody else is still just throwing them away. Yes, if you can, if you can tie in. If you, if you can do something like that and you make, what you're doing is you're making this technology more accessible and more affordable to more people and you, you're, and you're increasing the capacity of a group of people collectively to come up with ideas, mm-hmm. right? If, I, if the barrier to a family having a 3D printer in their home is largely the cost of filament, yep. you remove that barrier. Mm-hmm. Now you've maybe made that technology more available to more kids and they now get to experiment. Mm-hmm. Is that is that kind of where you're oh, going? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What if you could make your own printer ink for your printers at home? Boy, I'd love to. It'd save me it's, a fortune. It's one of the most expensive liquids you, you ever buy as a consumer is, is printer ink. Yeah. What if you could make your own printer ink out of something that's in your current waste stream? Hmm. What if you could fuel your car out of something that's in your current waste stream? What if you could... Make clothes for your kids to, to to piggyback on our previous example. Yeah. Out of something that's in your current waste stream. Well, then you're going to get creative about how you do that thing, and um, and it'll when it becomes universally accepted, then you're talking at a scale that's going to make a difference. So I'm trying to think of. I mean, I like this concept of if you if you Take something that's present in your life already, uh, no, no matter where you are on the socioeconomic scale, um, and you can convert that into something usable and how that reduces barriers to things. Because, you know, we hear that still as a conversation. If, if, if kids don't have uh, computers in their home, if they don't have access to high-speed internet, um, they're kind of behind on the learning curve, right? Like they're, they're not able to access the technology and the information they need to, uh, you know, achieve at the level that we'd like all kids to be able to achieve at. And there, and there could be a future in which having this technology and being able to engineer things and engineer solutions, um, kids that could have, whose families can afford 3D printers and the material to go into them, uh, there would be a difference between those families and families that couldn't afford that and that that might be a reality in the future that we could that we could see so this this idea of reducing that barrier mm-hmm. I, I really like that idea yeah um, technology um, needs to be accessible mm-hmm. to all people of all socioeconomic backgrounds and all abilities um, uh, there was a time where home computers were really only used by people who knew how to program. Mm-hmm. And um, now everybody has a computer because they figured out a way to interface with the computer where I didn't have to learn how to write how to write code. Yeah. And, and I didn't have to understand that to pull up programs and do things that I wanted on the computer. Exactly. And so I think that's that's key to this technology too is Everybody could have one, and it's real easy. Everybody knows you just throw your water bottle in this. Maybe you, maybe you have to add a couple drops of this solution or solution. something to yeah, exactly. retain the, the chemistry. Yeah. 
which hopefully Colleen can set us straight on that part too. Yeah. Uh, you know. So, so I, you talked about Colleen. So you, like you said, one of the things we want to do on this segment is not just to talk about these big ideas and speculate on what that we want to find out whether they will or won't work. And, and if, if they will, what it would take for that to work. And if it doesn't, what the barriers are. Yeah. Why so, won't it? Yeah. So you, you had this conversation, you, you reached out to her, you reached out to Colleen, uh, and she offered some explanation. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was as simple as typing in a Google search, Wichita State Chemistry Department, and then scrolling until I saw a professor with the right title by her name, and she had organic and polymer chemistry by her name, and that's and, and her phone number was right there. And so you called her? So I called her, and she was... Very busy, but she took time out of her day to uh, talk with me about uh, this big idea. And she was very excited, very knowledgeable, super nice. And uh, um, it was a pleasure to talk with her and get this insight and learn that my idea wasn't so far from reality. Well, I can't wait to hear what she has to say about this big idea. So we recorded this in two parts because we wanted to try to get Colleen on the episode to answer the question, and that didn't work out. Um, but we but we did talk with her, and well, particularly Tyler talked with her. So to answer this question about what we can do with consumer plastics, what what did Colleen say? Essentially, um, that most consumer plastics are are. Um, comprised of multiple polymers and, and additional chemicals and um, typical consumer plastics can't be uh, melted down and then re-solidified with the same properties. Uh, some plastics do exist, we just don't have them introduced into our, um, into our usage streams for plastic water bottles, coffee cup lids, etc. Um, so, uh, her input was pretty, pretty helpful for me to come to an understanding of, of why the big idea wouldn't currently exist, uh, with, with what we have available, but it is possible. Um, so in our discussion, you and I talking about um, waste streams and reusing and recycling. Um, it it put in mind um, another uh, potential use uh, stream for our waste. Uh, we talked about you know on a residential scale or mm-hmm. in schools or municipalities, but we didn't talk about maker spaces, which are these wonderful little. Um, venues for people to use their creativity and and they don't have to buy the equipment right so they have like 3d printers they have cnc little cnc mills they do a lot of textile work but if you want to make something i know we have one in the basement of the library uh but if you if you want to make something and you don't have the resources to buy this equipment you can go there precisely so that is an, uh, 
a big beast unto itself and I think deserves its own episode of, uh, of the big idea. So the and next up is how maker spaces can help your community? Can help your community, how they work, what they do, uh, and can we tie it into some of this conversation around reusing things? We talked about reusing on a large scale. We talked about the the big wind generator blades. Uh-huh. We talk about... Uh, Which we found out that they are actually reused for a number of things, and there's more uses being developed all the time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And maker spaces are these great little communities of creativity that can put a lot of minds on an idea and say, well, how can we use this or how can we use that? And so let's give that its own episode. I like that. I like that. What one thing, it's like a rabbit hole. One thing leads to another that leads to another. And as long as we can keep producing episodes off of that, that sounds like a, sounds, sounds like a pretty efficient use of things. Only if I get to keep learning. That's the, that's the only part of it. That's fun for me. I like to have an idea and I like to flush it out, but I need to learn something through it. So Uh, I think we can do that with the makerspace idea. All right. I will look forward to that episode coming up. Excellent. Thanks for having me, Jason. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing your big idea. All right. (laughs) I'd like to thank a few of the people who've helped make that podcast and Hutch possible. My son, Mitchell Probst wrote and recorded the music for the show. Jenny Brigette put together some great graphics and promotional art. And Chris Acker helps overcome my mistakes to produce a great sounding product every episode. That podcast and Hutch is made possible through a collaboration between the Hutchison Arts and Culture Collective and Salt City Sound. They're working to bring resources and infrastructure to support art, music, and storytelling in our community. If you have an idea for your own podcast, reach out to them at podcasts at saltcitysound.net. If you enjoy that podcast and Hutch, be sure to subscribe and share it with all your friends. You can also help support this production by subscribing to thatguyandhutch.substack.com or by emailing me at thatguyandhutch at gmail.com to learn about sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week. A Salt City Sound production.